scripture reading for this morning is from Mark chapter 10, verses 32 to 45. Please stand for the reading of God's word. And they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them. And they were amazed, and those who followed were afraid. And taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was to happen to him, saying, See, we are going up to Jerusalem. And the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him, and after three days he will rise. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink, or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am to be baptized? And they said to him, We are able. And Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or my left hand, is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant." And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, just a reminder of where we are in Mark's Gospel. We're at the end of what has been three cycles uh, in which Jesus has been teaching on discipleship. Each cycle, this is beginning back in 8 verse 31 all the way through 1045 where we are right now, each of these cycles has involved a prediction by Jesus of his death. It has involved some example of self-centeredness, of selfishness on the part of the disciples, and then it has involved a teaching on the need to deny yourself and take up your cross and follow him. As Jesus would say to the disciples, this is what it means to follow me in light of that. And we've come to Mark chapter 10, verse 45, which is really the central passage in Mark's gospel. It just flat out declares what it is that Jesus came to do. He came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. It's also the passage that is at the very heart of the gospel. You hear preachers like this one quoted all the time. But today we're reminded of the context in which Jesus spoke these words. Jesus is on the way to his cross. This is the third time now that he's told his disciples what he's about to do. Twice he's told them what they must do. What it looks like to follow him. That, in fact, after he dies, they will need to take up their cross And continue to follow him as the risen, resurrected, and ruling Lord. But what are his core followers doing? His disciples. What are they doing? 
James and John are seeking their own glory, not the glory of Jesus Christ. The other ten disciples are indignant, not because James and John are being so incredibly selfish, but rather because James and John beat them to the punch. They wanted glory for themselves as well. They are not exhibiting any real understanding of what it means to follow Jesus. What does it mean to follow Jesus? What does it look like? What do we expect Him to do for us? What do you expect Him to do for you? Has His way of life had any impact on your own way of life? These are challenging questions that we need to ask. There's, they require more reflection than the time that we have in this sermon. We're in right now, this is the first Sunday in the season of Lent. Some Christians will use this time to reflect and repent and prepare their hearts for the celebration of the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ on Easter Sunday. This could be a time, if you were to choose, to kind of dial in a little bit during this season leading up to Easter to reflect on these questions. Am I willing to follow Jesus wherever He leads me? Am I willing to receive from Jesus whatever He gives me? Am I willing to serve others the way He has served me? Those are some very challenging questions. In fact, we'll use those questions to wrestle with what this text is telling us this morning. So our three points will be, am I willing to follow Jesus wherever He leads me? And then secondly, Am I willing to receive from Jesus whatever He gives me? And then third, am I willing to serve others the way He has served me? But first, let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come before Your Word this morning, we are so thankful that Your Spirit is with us, and dwelling us, and among us as Your people. Lord, we thank You that Your Word is powerful and effective. We also know it cuts deep. And so, Lord, we pray that it would cut deep this morning. We pray that you would bring conviction, not only this morning, but also throughout this season leading up to Easter. We pray that you would bring repentance. Help us to see uh, that not only the things that we are doing or failing to do, but the reasons and the idols, the motives of the heart behind those things. Lord, would you help us to deepen our repentance? Or would you give us a greater vision and hope and the grace that you have for us in your Son, Jesus Christ, so that... By Easter Sunday, our hearts are in tune with yours. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So first, will I follow Jesus wherever He leads me? Let's take a look again at verses 32 through 34. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to Him and said to Him, Teacher, we want You to do for us whatever we... That's 35, sorry. 32. And they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them, and they were amazed... And those who followed were afraid. And taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was to happen to him, saying, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles, and they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And after three days he will rise. Note that Jesus is out in front of his disciples. That was 
not the place where you'd normally see a rabbi standing. As he walked with his disciples, he would be walking alongside his disciples. This is the first time in Mark's Gospel that Jesus is out in front leading the way. Isaiah chapter 50 verse 7 says of the suffering servant that he set his face like flint. And Luke chapter 9 verse 53 tells us that Jesus set his face toward Jerusalem. Jesus is out front now, leading the way. Behind him, the disciples and these other, you know, the crowd, the greater group of people are, are anxious. There's this fear. There's this anxiety. You, know, you could describe it as a, a buzz that characterized the crowd as they followed him. Why? Why was that the case? Because they knew what was about to happen? No way. No way. They've consistently gotten it wrong up to this point. They had not yet grasped that Jesus was not going to lead an insurrection and, and go to war with the Romans and restore the kingdom to Israel, but rather that he was going there to die, as he had just said for the third time. What would happen when he went to his cross? His disciples would, by and large, abandon him. Peter, of course, would deny him. Even at the time of the ascension, after Jesus rose from the dead, at the time of the ascension in Acts chapter 1 verse 6, his disciples said to him, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? They still had not gotten it even then. No, they were not anxious and afraid and, and fearful because they knew what was about to happen. They were anxious and afraid and fearful because they thought that they were about to go to war that they were going to participate in an insurrection in which Jesus would triumph over the Romans and restore the kingdom to Israel. They expected a political Messiah who would bring earthly victory. Which begs the question, if they had really known where Jesus was leading them, they really grasped it, right? Would they have followed him? Will you follow Jesus wherever He leads you? And what does it mean, anyway, to follow Jesus? I mean, to, to follow Jesus, does that mean I read my Bible every day? I, I follow Jesus. I follow Jesus by, by praying every day. I follow Jesus. I follow Jesus by going to church every Sunday. I'm in a growth group. Yes, I follow Jesus. Well, I mean, those things are certainly part of what it means to follow Jesus. But in a, in a way, those are preparation for following Jesus or their evaluation to discern how you're following Jesus or you know ongoing education continuing education for following Jesus but what does it mean to follow Jesus well it means you will go wherever he leads you you'll go wherever he leads you. How do we apply this in our lives? Well, I remember, you know, being a younger man, I can say that now. I can remember starting out, right, even in high school, thinking, I'm not sure what college to go to. I'm not sure what I should major in. You know, graduating from college, I'm not sure if I should take this job or that job. I mean, there's just this level of anxiety and, and fear and some level of anticipation, but still, there was an absence of being, being willing to say, you know what? 
I'm going to trust that Jesus is leading me. That he knows where I need to go. So I'm going to wrestle through these questions. I'm going to seek wisdom from others. I'm going to seek to understand from his word principles for making sound decisions. But at the end of the day, I need not be fearful. I need not be paralyzed. I can trust that Jesus will lead me where he wants me to go. And I can follow him. Some of us are older, and perhaps we had an idea of where Jesus would lead us, and we're experiencing some level of disillusionment. Dreams that we once held to are dying. And we wonder, Jesus, where have you led us? Is this really where you wanted me to go? Now in both of those examples, there is, there's a lie that we're believing that informs our response to what's happening. And the lie is this. Jesus will lead me wherever I want to go. He will help me avoid the places I don't want to go. Isn't that why He came? He will, as Psalm 23 says, lead me beside still waters. Will He not? Joseph Gilmore was an English professor at the University of Rochester. He died in 1918. Prior to uh, becoming an instructor at the University of Rochester, I think there's actually an English chair named after him. But anyway, uh, you know, prior to that, he came to Rochester actually to serve as the pastor of Second Baptist Church. Second Baptist Church is, I believe, on the site of what is presently the Temple Building downtown. He pastored Second Baptist Church there. After he moved on and took this position at U of R, the next pastor came in. They had a huge building campaign, which they leveled that building and built the temple building and met in there for worship. Anyway, you know, Joseph Gilmore comes to the University of Rochester, comes to Rochester, takes this position. But prior to that, he had been in Philadelphia, pastoring a church there. And one Sunday, he was preaching on Psalm 23. And he never got beyond that phrase, he leads me beside still waters. He's going to preach the whole text. He didn't get any further than that. It was the Civil War. Uh, the, the nation was just in a tumultuous place. Everybody was understandably very anxious. And he felt the weight of that, both at a national level and for him personally. And so he just kind of dialed in on that phrase. He leads me beside still waters. After the service was over, he, was, he and his wife were at the home of a deacon from that church. They were discussing God's leading of us, of his people, and our following of him throughout difficult times. And he wrote a poem, sketched it out on a, a piece of paper while they were talking over the meal and over coffee or whatever afterwards. And he, just, he gave it to his wife. You know, when it was done, he wasn't sure what he was going to do with it. So he gave it to his wife, and she held on to it. And then some years later, he comes to Second Baptist Church in Rochester, New York, to become its pastor. And he opens up their hymn book to see what kind of hymns they're singing. And he finds his poem set to music. His wife had actually taken it and said, you know, this is wonderful. I'm going to put it in this you know, circular that was you know, around in those days, a Christian magazine. And another hymn writer read it, set it to music, and by the time Joseph ended up in uh, Second Baptist Church in Rochester, it was in a hymnal. 
The hymn is one that we may be familiar with. He leadeth me. He leadeth me. In fact, I've got the lyrics. I want to read just a few of the verses. He leadeth me, O blessed thought, O words with heavenly comfort fraught. Whate'er I do, where'er I be, still tis God's hand that leadeth me. You may remember the chorus. He leadeth me, he leadeth me. By his own hand he leadeth me. His faithful follower I would be. For by his hand he leadeth me. Familiar? Last hymn reads like this. Lord, I would clasp thy hand in mine. Nor ever murmur, nor repine. Content whatever my lot may, whatever lot I see. Since tis my God that leadeth me. Another verse earlier that I love. And when my task on earth is done, when by thy grace the victory's won, in death's cold wave I will not flee, since God through Jordan leadeth me. He leadeth me. He leadeth me. Don't worry, I'm not going to break out into song. By his own hand he leadeth me. His faithful follower I would be. For by his hand he leadeth me. And here was the tension, right? Psalm 23 says, He leadeth me beside still waters. Psalm 23 also says, Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. They're in the valley of the shadow of death. And they're enjoying still waters. They're in the valley of the shadow of death. And the Lord has set a table before him in the midst of their enemies. In other words, as we follow Jesus through life's stormy veil, as we follow Jesus through the shadow of death even now, He is leading us to Jordan's shore and beyond. Will we follow Him? Will we follow Him through it all? Second, will I receive from Jesus whatever He gives me? Will I receive from Jesus whatever He gives me? Let's look back at the text now. Verse 35 through 41. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to Him and said to Him, Teacher, we want You to do for us whatever we ask of You. And He said to them, What do You want Me to do for You? And they said to Him, Grant us to sit, one at Your right hand and one at Your left, in Your glory. Jesus said to them, You do not know what You are asking. Are You able to drink the cup that I drink, or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized. And they said to him, We are able. And Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink, you will drink. And the, with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard of it, they were indignant at James and John. So again, quick reminder, what was it that the disciples, James and John in particular, were asking for? Lord, we want to be at your right hand and your left hand in your glory. And Jesus says, you don't know what you're asking me. You think that I am going to restore the kingdom to Israel. I'm going to be on my throne and you'll be like my you know, secretary of the treasury and my secretary of state. You'll be at my right and my left. You'll have these great positions of power. What you don't realize is that my glory, as John's Gospel says, will be most fully revealed at my cross. And there will be people to my right and my left when my glory is revealed at the cross 
they will be two thieves. Is that what you want, James and John? You don't know what you're asking. Jesus says, I'm about to drink a cup. And that cup throughout the Old Testament is the cup of God's wrath. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane prayed, let this cup pass from me, yet not my will, but thy will be done, O Lord. Jesus said there's a baptism that I'm about to undergo. Elsewhere in the Gospels, he'll say, essentially, I'm anticipating this baptism that is about to come. He's pointing to the cross. It makes one think of Noah and the flood and the way in which the whole earth was baptized, if you will, in God's judgment and wrath. And Jesus is saying, I am going to drink a cup. And I'm going to experience a baptism. Are you ready, James and John? Yes, we are. No, they weren't. And then Jesus goes on and says, you know what? You're going to drink a cup. And you're going to experience a baptism. Because haven't I already said to you that as my followers, you must take up your cross and follow me. Hasn't it always been said by Jesus, going back to the Sermon on the Mount, that to follow Him is to be blessed even as we experience persecutions and trials and hardships? Hasn't that been the message through Mark chapter 8 all the way up to this point in Mark 10.45, that to follow Jesus is to, to use the words of this passage, drink from the cup and experience a baptism. It is. You see, followers of the suffering servant, Jesus Christ, should expect in some measure to experience suffering. That's the way it is for those who follow Christ. It involves suffering. What does that mean for us? Well, think about that question that Jesus asks his disciples. What do you want me to do for you? It's right there in verse 36. And he said to them, what do you want me to do for you? It's not the last time that Jesus is going to ask that question. In the next passage that we're going to look at next week, there's a blind man named Bartimaeus who comes before the Lord and Jesus says to him, what do you want me to do for you? James and John wanted glory. Jesus, we want you to give us glory. In fact, we want carte blanche. Like they say that before he even speaks to them about it. He says, we want you to, tell, we want you to guarantee you'll give us whatever we want. And Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? James and John wanted glory. Bartimaeus wanted mercy. That question, what do you want me to do for you, is actually an invitation to ask Another question. Why do I want the things that I want? See, that was a penetrating question. James and John should have heard their Lord saying, what do you want me to do for you? And with a measure of self-reflection said, why do I want the glory that I seek? That question is an invitation to self-reflection, to ask the question, why do I want what I want? And as we ask that question before the Lord, idols of the heart are being exposed. The way in which we are looking for glory are being revealed. We come to see what 
ultimately who it is that we really need. Jesus. Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? We ask, why do I want the things that I want? And then with that question we ask, because all those questions have a context, with that question we ask, am I content with the things that I already have? What do you want me to do for you, Jesus says. Self-reflection, why do I want the things that I want? And am I content with the things that I have? You have a career, or perhaps you lack one. You have a job that you love, or maybe you don't. You have a school that you want to get into, or maybe you don't really care about going to college. You have your singleness, and perhaps you long to be married. You have some sickness, and you want desperately to be healed. Jesus, do this for me. Enable me to find a spouse. Enable me to be content with my singleness. Enable me to have a career that I love or a job that I love. Enable me to be healthy. And there's an invitation embedded in that question, what do you want me to do for you? And that is, why do I want the things that I want anyway? And am I content with what I have? There, there may be no greater example outside of Jesus Christ in the Bible of how difficult that wrestling can be with those questions. And that, of course, is Joseph. I mean, Joseph was bound for greatness, was he not? He had the visions and the dreams that his entire family would bow down before him. And yet, what happened all throughout the course of his life? The Lord gave him things that he would not have expected as the path to the glory that he would be promised, he had been promised he would experience. The Lord gave him imprisonment. The Lord gave him false accusation. The Lord gave him being in a pit and abandoned by his own brothers. And Joseph had to ask himself, will I receive these things as from the Lord? Or will I not? And we need to ask ourselves the same question. Will I receive the things that are happening in my life as from the Lord? With thanksgiving, even. Will I receive whatever is yet to come that I cannot see as from His hand? With thanksgiving, trusting His good purpose will prevail in the end. It's a challenging question. I don't expect you to be able to answer it right now. So first question, will I follow Jesus wherever He leads me? Second question, Will I receive from Jesus whatever He gives me? And then, final question, will I serve others the way He has served me? Take a look at 42 through 45. And Jesus called them to Him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them, but it shall not be so among you. 
But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus provides for himself. He points to himself as an example, the example par excellence of what it looks like to serve. To serve. He gives us contrast in this passage between the rulers of the Gentiles and the way of the kingdom. In fact, in the Greek, it's kind of embedded there a little bit. You could translate those who are considered leaders as so-called leaders. In other words, those who think of themselves as leaders are really not demonstrating true leadership at all. True leadership is defined by the norms and the ways of Jesus Christ and is lived out as an expression of servanthood in the kingdom of God. This is what it looks like to lead in the kingdom, not seeking to be first, but rather being last and being willing to be slave of all. Now come back again to uh, James and John. Jesus says here in this passage that we just read, whoever would be great among you must be servant. In other words, just on the face of it, James and John coming to Jesus and saying, we want you know, glory, if you will. We, we want to have jobs that matter. We want to do things that count in this world. In, in a way, we, we want to make a name for ourselves. Now they began to drift off into very you know, unholy and unhelpful places very quickly. But on the face of it, to seek to have a life that has an impact. To seek to be in a position of leadership. To seek to have authority over other people is not a wrong thing. It's all about the orientation of your heart. It's all about whether or not you recognize that kingdom leadership looks like servanthood. Leadership in the world looks like, what can you do for me? Leadership in the kingdom looks like, what can I do for you? It's entirely different. It's upside down. That's the way of the kingdom. Every time you talk about the kingdom of God, you realize that is totally upside down. And it is. But from the perspective of God, it is right side up. It's the way it was always meant to be. So Jesus gives us an example here, but... This does not end with 45A, right? When you hear 45A, the verse, and then A, that means just part of the verse. It doesn't end with 45A. There's 45B, and that makes all the difference. Verse 45, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. If it ends there, all we have is Jesus as example. But it goes on came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now we're talking about how Jesus went somewhere that we could never go. He, earlier it said in A, even the Son of Man came. He existed before this. It doesn't say even the Son of Man was born. Even the Son of Man came. Son of Man, that great language coming back from uh, Daniel chapter 7. Son of Man, speaking of God's ruler over all the cosmos. Even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give willingly His life as a ransom. The ransom. The ransom is the price paid to redeem that which has been taken. Jesus said, I give my life as a ransom for many. 
John chapter 10, for all his sheep. John chapter 6, for all that the Father has given him. He lays down his life willingly. Son of man, ruler of all, lays down his life, Isaiah 53, suffering servant. We're not those. Only Jesus is that. How does that change the way that we think about leadership? It ought to change everything about how we think about leadership. But more importantly, it ought to change our motive for leadership. You see, so often we want to lead. And by leadership, I don't mean just like business leadership or church leadership. Parenting is exercising authority either in the way of Jesus or in the way of the rulers of this world, either seeking glory for yourself through your children or through your employees, or seeking God's glory as you look to serve them. Here's where the grace of 45B changes everything. The ransom price is indicated by the worth of the object that is being redeemed. What that means is that you our worth, or the measure of your worth, is God's love and Jesus' life. And when you really begin to take that in, the God of the universe so loved me that He gave His Son, that this love was demonstrated for me at the cross in which Jesus, the eternal Son of God, the Son of Man, the ruler of the cosmos, willingly laid down His life for my redemption, price paid to satisfy God's worth at wrath and rescue me from my sin. As you take that in, you realize, you know what, I don't need to find my worth in my employees. I don't need to find my value in my children and how they treat me. I don't need to find my worth or my value in my station in life, whatever it may be. Because I have been loved by Jesus. He laid down His life for me and that changes everything. Everything. Am I willing to follow Jesus wherever He leads me? Am I willing to receive from Jesus whatever He gives me? Am I willing to serve others the way Jesus has served me? You know, Jesus answered all three of those questions, yes, with respect to His Heavenly Father. Jesus was willing to follow His Father as His Father led Him to the cross. Jesus was willing to receive from His Father that cup of His Father's wrath. He drank it that we might never have to. Jesus was willing to serve others by laying down His life the cross. Are we willing to follow Jesus wherever He leads us? Yes. By His grace, yes. Are we willing to receive from Jesus whatever He gives us? Yes. By His grace, yes. Are we willing to serve others the way Jesus has served us? Yes. By His grace, yes. 
We believe, Lord. Help our unbelief. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, that is our prayer. Lord, we come before these very penetrating questions. Questions that we need to reflect on long beyond this little bit of time we've had here today. And we know what the answer needs to be. And we want that to be the answer. But we, we struggle every day. We want you to lead us where we want to go. We want you to give us what we want to have. And we really don't want to serve others. We want them to serve us. And so we come confessing our sin. Praying that you would not only show us the things that we ought to be doing that we're not doing and the things that we are doing that we ought not to be doing and and unearth and expose the idols of our heart that we might bring those before you and find that you are you are the one who satisfies and then God knowing the way and wanting to believe and follow would you by grace help our unbelief would you by grace help our unbelief And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.